in the morning when you need the news that matters most. We have a constitutional right to publish this story. We are the fourth estate and we will hold the powerful accountable. You need the front page. Wait, what's the fourth estate? Us, the press. And everyone knows that? On the press box. Because I feel like people always say the fourth estate, but they don't actually know what it means. I think everybody knows what it means. I thought the fourth estate was time. That's the fourth dimension. I thought the fourth estate was Georgia. With Graney and Bischoff. No, not state, a state. You thought I was saying we're the state of Georgia? Did you know there's a chip in NFL football? Had no clue about this. Next Gen Stats, uh, which has a lot of fun stats, tweeted out about Tyler Huntley's fumble that it was 0.6 yards away from the goal line before it was punched out and then returned by Sam Hubbard for a touchdown. The reason they knew that it was 0.6 yards away from the goal line, according to the tweet, is because there's a chip in the football that tells them where the ball is. Now, did you know this? Had no idea. Had no idea there was a chip in the football. What are we doing with chips in the football and not <laughs> using it to spot the football? What are we doing? As here? much as they miss on spots. What are we doing? Unbelievable. I. You've always heard like, like tennis, for example. The way tennis does its reviews is with cameras. Right. It, there's not a chip right. in a tennis ball. It's cameras tell you where it is. Where it's But it works in tennis because there's there's not bodies on top of the football, right? The ball is always basically out in the open, and there's enough cameras that even if one of them's obstructed, there's other cameras to pick it up. In football, okay, you may, might not be able to use the cameras because of that. But you're telling me there's a chip in the football, and you're telling me next-gen stats knew the ball was exactly 0.6 yards away? from the goal line and we're not using this to spot the ball i'd even be okay with all right the technology might take a little bit of time so we're going to let the human still spot the ball but every single time there's a review of a spot right how are we not right. using the chip? the chip right and it's like ah you don't know when the runner's down if we're reviewing a play they have the technology to look and say all right his knee is down at this instant what does the chip say the ball was this is unbelievable there's been a chip in the ball this entire time heard. And nobody knew about it. And not only did nobody know about it, that they just are like, yeah, we're going to let the old guys spot the ball still. What happened on the chip on the deflate gate? Did they screw up with the chip? I, I cannot believe there's been a chip in the football this long and no one's ever said anything. Something tells me it's probably new within the last two, three years. But someone would have known and like written about this. I mean, it would it would have been it would have been out there that there's a chip in the football. I mean, maybe not. Major League Baseball is hiding how they make their baseballs and giving different <laughs> balls out there for Aaron Judge and Albert Pujols to chase their home runs. So maybe not. Maybe we need an NFL investigation or investigation of the NFL. Are they putting the different chips. footballs out there? Maybe Derek Carr didn't fumble this year because the balls were stickier or something. <laughs> the chip was too big and his finger was yeah. on it. He kept fumbling. I think Josh Allen had a ridiculous number of fumbles. So maybe Josh Allen didn't get the sticky balls and Derek Carr did. Where's the investigation? I... The fact that we're going to review things over the rest of the NFL playoffs for spots and right. there's a chip in that right. damn football and they're going to say, ah, we got this weird camera angle. It's not down the line exactly. So we don't really know where the ball right. should be spotted when there's a chip in the ball. That'll probably tell us next gen stats will tweet out. The ball was 0.1 yards away from the first down, but they awarded it anyways. And boy, do they miss spots. <laughs>
Boy, do they miss spots on knees being down and where balls should be. Happy to move on to the, to the next question here, Aaron. Jim Harbaugh is returning to Michigan. Michigan's president, Santa Ono, tweeted, I just got off the phone with Coach Harbaugh, and Jim shared with me the great news that he is going to remain as the head coach of the Michigan Wolverines. That's done. So he's staying in Michigan this time. I don't think he tells time. the president. What's the point of that? I don't think he tells the president. I Probably mean, not. He might tell the media after the season. I'm not sure. Maybe interview for a job. But what's he telling the president <laughs> for if it's not real? He sent that statement out that I will enthusiastically, or I expect I to expect enthusiastically to return. return. I expect to return. <laughs> then he interviewed for <laughs> the then Denver job. Interviews with NFL then he jobs. interviewed for the NFL job. <laughs> no, I, I think this is done. I don't. I think once you call the president, what would be the point of that if you're even having second thoughts? I would assume so. Did he, he didn't even get like a new contract out of this. No. So he was just genuinely kind of considering, eh, would I enjoy the NFL better next year? And then decided no, which is interesting because normally when coaches are negotiating or or interviewing for other jobs, they're going back and saying, hey, I'll stick around if you give me this much or whatever. I don't even think he's getting that from Michigan. He just was like, ah, I might want to coach the Broncos. Russell Wilson cost how much money? All right, never mind. Going back to Michigan. Next question. The Houston Texans interviewed Sean Payton. First question for you. Do you believe Sean Payton would take the Texans job? Uh, Great question because of the picks they have. And he could get one of these two quarterbacks. Um, And maybe that's what he wants, like a young franchise quarterback to build around. But there's, I just think there's going to be other jobs that he interviews for. I take, I'll tell you what, I would take it over Denver if I had a chance to get one of those two quarterbacks. I think I would too. So on the quarterback question, do you believe Sean Payton has done enough independent research into C.J. Stroud and Bryce Young to know, like, oh yes, we got the number two pick. I believe one of those guys is a franchise quarterback. I mean, I think he's, if he didn't, he started if he got serious about this job during the interview process. I think he might have said, okay, if I'm taking this job, we get one of these two. Let me look into them. I mean, he's been out of football. I'm sure he's watched them. I mean, right. they're on TV every week. Right. So I'm sure he's watched them and seen what he thinks about them. I would, it's crazy, but I'm trying to think of other jobs that are going to be open or are open right now. It's not the craziest thing to want this job if you can get one of those quarterbacks. If, if you believe if you in, know in if you, one of them. If you think one of those guys is okay, he's Absolutely. like a future great quarterback. Like, I think this job's a good job for that sense for him. Because otherwise, you're inheriting Kyler Murray. Right. You're inheriting Russell Wilson. Yes. You're going to Carolina, who... Who you don't know. You're, and and right. they don't have the one or two pick, do they? Where, where's the Carolina pick? Uh, like six or seven yeah. or something so, like that. Probably not getting one of those two Right. Guys. So it's like, if you believe in... CJ Stroud or Bryce Young, then Texans could be attractive. Mm-hmm. The other side of this, the Texans have the two and the 12 in this draft, and then they have their own pick and Cleveland's pick in the next uh, first round of 2024. What does Houston trade to New Orleans? There was a report over the weekend that New Orleans wants a mid to late first round pick. Two is obviously much higher than that. 12 is higher, honestly, than mid to late first round pick. What does Houston give up to New Orleans if Sean Payton does want to go maybe the Cleveland pick? Texans? Maybe, but is a 12 too high still to give up? Like, that's a good uh, pick. In this year, given how bad you are. Yeah. Yeah. Given so, how bad you are, maybe you give next year's Cleveland pick. I almost, it almost feels like if you're the Saints, you're, you're pushing Sean Payton. Oh, yeah. Go to the Texans. Look at their division. 
there, you could have one of those quarterbacks. We get the 12th overall pick. You get the 12th of, overall pick. Instead of like the 20th overall pick. Yeah. Like, oh, if I'm the Saints, I'm pushing them out the door saying, yeah, Houston's yeah. great. It's not yeah. even far from New Orleans. You just, it's right up the road. No problem. And they've already said Dennis Allen's back. Right. Uh, Dennis Allen is coming back, yeah. which probably dumb, but whatever. Dennis Allen is back, and so will somehow Andy Dalton. Great question. Did you see Jonathan Abram twist Debo Samuel's leg after? Did a he twist it or lift it up? I couldn't see. I watched the uh, the tweet the tweet with it. Uh, did he lift the leg up or did he actually twist the ankle? I don't did think there was it? much twisting going on. I don't lifted think so the leg up. Um, certainly unnecessary to lift his leg up. The well, yeah, it's certainly unnecessary to still have your hand on the guy when he's down. So this was the interesting part. Um, it caught players came together shoving each other. Uh, Nick Bosa, when asked about it after the game, said, "Don't poke the bear." implying that that's what motivated them to go on and just win easily. But Jonathan Abram and Debo Samuel did the Jersey swap after the game. (laughs) So no hard feelings. So everybody, but Debo Samuel was mad at Jonathan Abram because Debo Samuel's leg got picked up and or twisted. I don't know. Weird scenario there, but the most amazing thing, the Seattle Seahawks, Played in a playoff game, and they had Jonathan Abram starting, and Tanner Muse was their starting middle linebacker. The guy that Mike Mayock drafted in the third round and said, oh, he's only going to play, special, only play teams. special teams. Then they cut him. He got hurt for his first year. Then they cut him before the second year, and he started at middle linebacker in the, in the playoffs. Game. He broke up a pass. He <laughs> dove over the middle of the field to break up a pass. I don't know how the hell Seattle gotten to the playoffs with that defense, but two Raiders that got two guys that got cut by right. the Raiders started in a playoff game. Kind of incredible. Is the Muse kid better than we thought? No. No, he's not good at all. Did you see what Brock Purdy and the 49ers did? Yeah, I saw that. I just there I, were just I open want, guys over the I middle of the field. I want him to be good so it could be another Mayock miss. There were just open guys over I the want, middle of the field the entire game. He's not good. He won't be starting for a playoff team next. He might not be starting period in the NFL next year. Uh, I don't know. We'll see. JT Odom has committed to play football at UNLV. That is Barry Odom's son. Uh, Barry Odom has another son, Garrett, who's a quarterback, but in the class of 2025. So a couple of years away. So Barry Odom landed his son to come play at yeah. UNLV. Um, they he did to land get, the next one. They did get, he does. The next one has actually got some recruiting rankings. Um, they did get three transfers yesterday. First, Pitt running back Vincent Davis is transferring to UNLV. He played at Pitt for four seasons, ran for 1,800 yards over the course of four years. Season high was 632. The new UNLV offensive coordinator, though, Brennan Marion, was a wide receiver coach at Pitt for a year when Vincent Davis was there. So we're making the assumption there that Brennan Marion went and got Vincent Davis to be a running back in the go-go offense. They also got Jalen Frazier, who's a defensive back from NC State, played in nine games last year, had one tackle and one interception. They also got offensive lineman Jalen St. John from Arkansas. Obviously, that's where Barry Odom was before as a defensive coordinator. But Jalen St. John played in two games over the course of two seasons at Arkansas. But here's the interesting story. He got arrested in November, like three months ago, for theft. The accusation was that he stole someone's phone and sent himself money through Cash App. 
Ah, come on. It's kids. <laughs> That's the dumbest way to steal money, right? Yeah, you're going to get caught. It's very easy <laughs> to know caught. who did it. You're going to get caught to see who's, right. where they're sending it to. You sent it to yourself? Like, that's... They're going to know. They're going to be like, oh, who'd I send the money to? All right, that's the guy who stole my phone. Do you get caught up in taking kids like this, or it doesn't matter to you? I mean, here's the thing to me. Very out of a guy who there. This. Yeah, he was there. He knew the kid, obviously. So, I guess we... What, should we trust Barry Odom's judgment on this? He's like, he, it's not like he's taking a kid that he wasn't there for. He was there right. when this happened. So Barry Odom, I assume, has a lot more information than we do. Sure. So maybe sure. we should trust Barry Odom on this. Um, but maybe, I mean, it happened three months ago. So maybe not. I mean, maybe it's it's fair to question it. You just hope if this happened, I don't know if this is alleged he was accused. Uh, if this happened, he's a smarter offensive lineman than he is a thief. Because <laughs> as you said... When you steal a phone and start sending yourself money, you know, uh, Barney Fife's going to crack the case. He's going to say, uh, okay, I think I know who did this. We got this one covered, yeah, guys. Yeah, we got this one. Okay, we got this guy covered. Kalong told me a couple of days ago. I, you got to get rid of this echo. <laughs> can't talk. I'm drunk. Whatever. <laughs> to cap off the front page. Jason Tatum went for 51 last night. Yeah. Another 50-point game. LeBron almost went for 50. In the NBA. Yeah, LeBron had, what did he have, 48? 48. He had 48. As the Lakers beat the Rockets. Uh, Tatum, though, I enjoyed it very much. They were beating the Hornets by, like, 20 points. Tatum was still in the game, and he scored five points in the final minute to get to 51. To get to 50? Hit two threes to get to 51, and it was very much a, hey, we're giving the ball to Jason Tatum, he's getting and he's 50. shooting to get to 51. He scored, by the way, he scored 51 on only 23 field goal attempts. <laughs> Because he was 14 of 14 on free throws and hit seven threes. Like, unbelievably efficient game from Jason Tatum. Uh, the Celtics, by the way, I think they're 33 and 12 now. Pretty phenomenal record so far. All right, coming up next, we'll get into some UNLV basketball as they lost to Colorado State in overtime in heartbreaking fashion. And they play again tonight in Logan, Utah. This sports update is brought to you by the East-West Shrine Bowl football game. Come check out the East-West Shrine Bowl football game on February 2nd at Allegiant Stadium. Go to ShrineBowl.com for more info. Webster's going to drive. Webster in the lane. Webster double clutch. Is good and a foul. Woo! So the Rebels finally get a call. And a tough play by Justin Webster to tie the game at 62. Jackson. Out oh, the lake, got him. stolen by Rodriguez. Rodriguez in the lane for the slam dunk. We're back to the press box with Grady and Bischoff. UNLV basketball is back in action tonight. They take on Utah State. By the way, you can catch the Kevin Kruger show every Wednesday at 5 p.m. over on Raider Nation Radio 920, live from the Bourbon Street Lounge inside of the Orleans Hotel and Casino. But UNLV, again, they play tonight against Utah State. You can hear that. Right here, but we do want to go back because they lost to Colorado State 82-81 in overtime. Isaiah Stevens for Colorado State scored 33. He hit two three-pointers in the final five seconds of regulation, including a game-tying heave from about midcourt as the buzzer sounded. He also hit two threes in the final 40 seconds of overtime, which means... UNLV lost to Colorado State despite having a four-point lead with eight seconds left in regulation and a four-point lead with 35 seconds left in overtime. A complete choke job for UNLV in both regulation 
and overtime and what's ultimately a quad three loss and probably their worst loss of the season to Colorado State. Yeah, I was there. It was not good there in the end. Um, I know we're going to get into this fouling up three, um, so I did want to talk to you about that. I see uh, your explanation down here. You know, look, it's a philosophy. Some coaches agree, some coaches don't. Some media agree, some media don't. Players and everything. I'm with you on this, and I'm going to stop, though. I I always think you should foul up three. I've always – I've seen too many throw-ins, prayers, other threes land – and you lose an overtime to where on this instance, and you said he was he was beyond the logo, he was beyond half court. He had time to jump, catch, land, dribble, shoot, and it was over the head, which I mean isn't you know, it was a I don't know if it was a fluky shot, but I don't know how many times he can make that. I still would have fouled him. I just believe in it so much. I just I just always think you should foul up three. And 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 Mike Gramala made a good point afterwards. If you're not gonna foul and I guess they told them don't foul. I mean, I assume that was communicated to them. Then why is Luis Rodriguez contesting it and risking a foul? So does it make the three? I mean, I have no problem with how they handled that. Zero whatsoever. But you're also a proponent of fouling up three. I do think you should foul up three. But with 2.9 seconds left, I have no problem telling your players in the huddle, don't foul. Because the worst case scenario. Are you taking a chance by fouling if you're contesting the shot? You can contest a shot without fouling. It's not, a, it's not you're a layup. Take, you're taking a chance. Sure, but it's not a layup. No, it's not, it's you're, not, not a, you're, ta- you're still taking a chance right. that you'd be called for. Sometimes those are bad calls, by the way. Yeah, that, I've, I've got no problem with not fouling with 2.9 seconds left because there's so little time and you're telling what amounts to college athletes, right? If this is the professional level, maybe it's a different conversation, but we're talk, talking about college athletes. Hey, Foul or don't foul. If you tell them foul, they're probably fouling Isaiah Stevens no matter what, which means they're fouling guys. They're tackling him as he shoots the three. And now he gets three free throws. Right, right. Which is, which would have looked 300 times worse than what actually happened. He threw it in two hands from the back of his head. This wasn't they gave up an uncontested three with his feet on the line. But if you practice it, which I assume they do at some point, I don't think they do it every day. They probably practice. Don't foul when there's two seconds left. But if they practice fouling, I thought he gave them enough time. Luis Rodriguez, I don't know who the – I forget who the other players are. They had two players close to him. It's not like he caught and shot it as he's fallen down. He had to stop. He had to dribble. He had to put the ball up. I would think – if you've practiced it enough, you could foul him in time before he shoots the ball. The previous play when right before Colorado State threw it in for their game tying three, uh, I think it was EJ Harkless got fouled by Colorado State. Right. And as they're intentionally fouling because the shot clock's yes. off, EJ Harkless starts to throw the ball towards the rim because what's EJ Harkless trying to do? He's trying He's to trying say, to draw oh, I was shooting. Yeah, he's trying to draw. And yeah, I get three free right, throws out right. of this. If Colorado State catches the ball, if Isaiah Stevens feels somebody touch him, he's probably chucking the ball at the rim immediately and might be getting three free throws out of that scenario, which is a significantly easier way to tie the game than chucking it from over your head from the midcourt logo. Again, if they gave up a wide-open three, then maybe you might have some complaints. That was not a bad possession by UNLV. See, I thought they should have fouled. The worst possession by UNLV was with eight seconds left, Isaiah Stevens' first three that he hit at the end of regulation. They let the ball roll all the way up past midcourt, which meant the clock did not start until the ball was in the front court. And they were able, with eight seconds left, 
to get a three through the rim with five seconds left, right? They sh- that should not have happened. They should have been pressuring the ball. So Colorado State had to dribble it all the way up the floor. They didn't. That was the bigger mistake at the end of regulation than what actually happened at the very last possession. Um, now, the other problem that I thought was a bigger issue, the end of overtime, you got a four-point lead with the ball with one minute to play. Harkless misses a three. They get the offensive rebound. Luis Rodriguez misses a jumper. Then they give up a three to Stevens. They're still up by one. Jordan McCabe gets fouled, goes to the free throw line, goes one of two. Stevens hits a three to take the lead. You still have time. You have the ball. Keyshawn Gilbert turns Turns it over over on the inbound. That is about as bad of a final minute as you can have. And it's four different guys. Harkless missed a shot. Rodriguez missed a shot. McCabe missed a free throw. Gilbert turned it over. That's they, they imploded whether or not you want to, we can argue about fouling up three and coaching decisions. The players imploded at the end of overtime, four point lead with the ball in a minute to go. You, you win that game 99% of the time and they somehow didn't. And because they lost that game, they're now 85 in Ken Palm because they lost that game. They're basically out of the NCAA tournament conversation. Like they're sure they're 10th out of 11 teams, right? They're at a point where they're going to have to win like 10 games in a row. They're 79 in net. Now they're at a point where they need to rip off basically like 10 straight mountain West wins. And there's 13 mountain West games left. They, they basically can't lose a mountain West game the rest of the season to have a legitimate shot. They're going to, right? They're one and four and they've got to go at least 10 and three the rest of the way to have any sort of shot. And that's probably not going to happen for UNLV from here on out because they're just not good enough. Um, how much do you make of Eli Parquet being out and the defense falling apart? Um, you're better to answer that. I, I've seen them three or four times. Uh, all I've heard about is how good is he is defensively, can't shoot, not good offensively. But And this was asked after the game, uh, how the rotations differ with him in there. Uh, defensively, and how much they are missing him, um, he takes the best. He takes the best opposing guard uh, and tries to take him out of the game. So I didn't see them enough during the ten and zero stretch to know how much his rotations have changed without Eli Parquet in the game. Basically, they're just playing the same guys more minutes. Um, Jordan McCabe's playing a little bit more, but it's it's not like they've brought in a new guy into the rotation and and they're now playing a worse player. They're just. They're just playing the same guys, but more minutes. The bigger problem that I think here is not so much that Parquet's out, but defensively, the big problem is, is we kind of got fooled because the non-conference schedule, pretty much every single team they played was better defensively than they were offensively. Their non-conference schedule. I don't know if this was on purpose by Kevin Curry. Probably couldn't have known this, but they're the offenses they played were terrible in non-conference. Mountain West offenses have been much better and able to expose it. That's the defensive issue. The offensive issue is that Keyshawn Gilbert is horrible. Keyshawn Gilbert is like not playable on the offensive end. And this was the most efficient player on the team through the first 10, 11 games of the season. He was incredible offensively to start the year and he's unplayable. He he's not aggressive. He doesn't take his man off the dribble. He can't shoot anymore. He doesn't finish anymore. He occasionally gets to the free throw line, and the turnovers have become a massive issue. He had six more the other day, by yeah, the way. It's unreal how many turnovers he has. He's unplayable 
on the offensive end, and this was their number two score. This was their most efficient scorer, and he just Justin Webster has to be their number two score at the moment, which is was never going to work. So that to me is their bigger. Is it easiest to say the non-conference has just caught up with them? Hundred percent. Yeah, non-conference schedule was not any good. There was one good team on there, Dayton, and they weren't even as good as expected. And at the end of the day, it's just you got to Mountain West play, and the Mountain West is pretty good this year. And you, look what not, happened. Yeah, you're just not good enough. All right, coming up next here on ESPN Las Vegas, Charles McDonald joins the show. Second and ten, Elliott's back in the game. Prescott in the gun, back to throw. Well protected, going to the end zone. Schultz at the goal line, and he's in for the touchdown. Second down, snap back. Well protected. Now he escapes out to his left. Good block, Tyler Smith. Pumps, throws it in the end zone. Caught, touchdown. Dalton Schultz for the second time tonight. Live from the Finley Toyota ESPN Las Vegas studios, this is the Press Box with Graney and Bischoff. Joining us now on ESPN Las Vegas is Charles McDonald. Make sure you follow him on Twitter at 4Verts and check out his work at Yahoo. All right, Charles, as a Falcons fan, do you... Whoa, slander. Uh, calm down, calm down. Do you uh, <laughs> do you laugh at the Chargers? Do you feel bad for the Chargers? Is there like a brotherhood with the Chargers? How do you feel as a Falcons fan watching the Chargers do the same exact thing the Falcons do? Um, hold on, give me one second. Okay. What happened there? <laughs> what just happened there? Danny? <laughs> I, yeah, I don't know. He said, give me a second hug up. All right. Do we think? <laughs> was he on the, uh, was he on the underground? That was phenomenal. Where was he? I have no idea. That is a good question. Where was Where he? Is he? Was he on the subway? I hope he was. Be great. So I hope somebody stole his phone. Yeah, exactly. Or he left like it there time. and somebody picked it up. All right. That was, that is the funniest way that an interview has ever started. I he very much enjoyed that. I think we're going to have Charles back. back in a second. But uh, it is the no Falcons worries. and the Chargers we'll as the two teams that always blow it. Um, all right. We got him back. It's Charles McDonald. First off, Charles, what, my fault. what happened? Uh, I was in line at the grocery store, and uh, I was trying to pay and use Apple Pay and my phone at the same time, and I actually hit end on the call. Oh, yeah, uh, much more important on your end. Much more important yeah. on your end. Absolutely. <laughs> okay. Uh, but going back to the, the Falcons and the Chargers, I mean, this is, I feel like this has always been a, kind of a brotherhood for, for people who have been paying attention to, uh, to, to where these teams have been, I guess, over the past, let's call it 15 years. Uh, I, I've always awakened, or you know, I likened Falcons fandom to. Can I say having blue balls on the radio? Yes. Where yes. it's like, you know, there's always just enough reasons to get you excited and be like, hey, maybe this could be the year. Like they, they're never usually like we're in the pantheon of you know the Browns, like where the Lions have been, where they just suck and have no prayer every year. They're usually like pretty solid in a way that is uh, noteworthy. I would say. And this is this is kind of what we do. Like, you get close, you almost get to the finish line, and then right before you get there, it, it stops. Uh, and that's what happens to the Chargers a lot. I mean, if you look at Phil Rivers' career, how many times have we lasted at Phil Rivers for playing a great game and then needing to come back in the final, you know, minute, full length of the field just to get something done? Uh, I don't feel bad for them, but I'm willing to embrace them with open arms because this is just what we do. 
Some guys have been the fall guys this morning, it seems. Uh, so it appears Staley might stick around. Is that the is that the best decision? Yeah, I I, I thought that uh, like what they've done makes the most sense. Uh, because he, even when guys were healthy for uh, the Chargers' offense, a wide receiver, and and uh, other positions, offensive line, it's not like they were maximizing. <laughs> excuse me, everything they should do with with Justin Herbert. Uh, he's one of the best quarterbacks in the game, and. If you go back and look at his pass chart from the Jaguars game, it, you're living within 10 yards of the line of scrimmage, which makes no sense when you have a quarterback that is as talented as him. So I, I thought Joe Lombardi needed to go a long time ago, and I, I really don't know why they kind of gave him as long a leash as they did. I think my favorite part of the Chargers blowing that was Joey Bosa spiking his helmet and then Brandon Staley rushing to pick it up and hand it to him and Joey Bosa immediately spiking it a second time. Yeah, it's embarrassing. You lost 27 you you were up 27 to nothing and you lost for the whole world to see. Uh and you know I think Joey Bosa might have been doing some uh might have been talking to the fans like on the way into halftime or something because there were some pictures where he was making some gestures at fans. Uh so I would be embarrassed too. Uh, and it's just crazy that when you have a lead that large going to the halftime you can't hold it. I mean, we're talking to 27 points. Uh, we saw last night that the, the Cowboys were able to do it. So when you're up that much and you can't get it done, it's definitely very, very frustrating. So I get it. I get it. But it's still a funny scene for us to watch if you're not a Chargers fan. Is it fair that people are still not believers in Brock Purdy? Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> I'm not a believer in Brock Purdy. I mean, okay, well, okay, well, what does believer mean? To what degree? People think he should be the starter next year for the. 49ers. No, that's crazy. Yeah, that's crazy. I, I agree with um, you. Okay, because I I, I kind of feel like we're watching the games, but we're not watching the games. If that makes sense, like go back and actually watch the passes that he's making. Uh, the the big one to Jawan Jennings that it was like a front side wheel route where he had to pivot and throw it real quick. He almost got him sent to the, the damn hospital. We were like, oh, okay. <laughs> Look at this throw by Brock Purdy. Yeah, if it was like one centimeter off, or if we were playing 2003, Juwan Jennings would be on a, like a milk carton right now. It's it makes it makes no sense that you know these are the passes that we're getting hyped up, uh, or even you know the, the long pass where Debo caught and run and went the rest of the way. That pass was behind him. Like if you go back and you look at all these passes, they're not accurate. This is just Kyle Shanahan at his best, like using his quarterback as a, a Madden player. Uh, and controlling the tempo and the force of the action like that. So Brock Purdy, like as a long-term starter, or even like the starter going to next year, it, it makes absolutely no sense to me because we, we've seen this from the 49ers, right? Like when they have a quarterback that's not that physically talented, but he's smart, this is kind of what it looks like. But they wanted more. That's why they traded for Trey Lance. So I don't really see why Brock Purdy would be the starter next year. Is uh... – is Shanahan, is the rest of that roster good enough that they could still win the Super Bowl this year? Or is it just going to be another, hey, the 49ers have a really good year and ultimately they lose a game because they don't have a good enough quarterback? Um, I don't know because I, I, I've, I found myself kind of uh, arguing both sides of the coin with myself because I, it, it's hard to say they can't win the Super Bowl when they put up 41 points in the playoff game, you know, with the, with the third-string quarterback. I think – when you look at the rest of the roster, why not? Like, they're absolutely good enough to win the Super Bowl. But, um, you know, I just kind of feel like at some point, I don't know when, 
I didn't think it was going to happen last week, but the limitations of Brock Purdy are are going to be evident at some point. And I don't, I, I I question how much Shanahan likes running this style of offense where the quarterback has to be like <laughs> coddled for uh, you know a lack of a better word. Uh, I I mean when you look at you you look at the Trey Lance trade, this is this isn't the kind of football that they wanted to play or. Or at least the the style of of offense that Kyle wants to play, but he's good enough where he can make it work. So I have a hard time saying that they can't win the Super Bowl when they put up 41 points in the first playoff game. We've talked a lot about Brady this morning. How many teams will really be interested in him? Um, I don't know. Like, well, I I guess the question, my my question for people that are, are interested in Tom Brady being their quarterback, like. What's your expectation that that he accomplishes this year? Like, what are you hoping that Tom Brady gets done that uh, your your previous starter couldn't get done? Because I don't know. I I, I think he, he's he's definitely playing better than <laughs> anyone at this age ever has, and I I definitely think he's still uh, a viable starting quarterback. But I think at this point you have to ask yourself, well, how much do we need to give Tom Brady so he can kind of start to tap back into that stuff from the past? Because uh, I think we saw last night, <laughs> if the protection is not there, it's going to be pretty hard for him to get away from these pass rushers. I mean, he's 45 years old. It makes sense. Uh, and if if your receivers aren't going to be like, as precise as he needs, then uh, that's kind of tough. Like He's he's kind of become a player that uh, has really become dependent on his supporting cast. So I, I honestly think that he should just stay in, in Tampa Bay. Like I, I, I don't even really think that – uh, this is a spot that he should leave because you're still looking at a wide receiver core that's led off by Mike Evans and Chris Godwin, and you're going to have some rotating parts there, whether it's Russell Gage, if uh, if he's in a position where he can continue playing football. Uh, we'll find out more uh, you know, as the day goes along. Uh, you got a nice young tight end in Kate Otten. If you can just kind of patch up some of the interior pieces on the offensive line, I, don't, I really don't get why that team couldn't get back into being one of the better offenses in the league, but if he's on the way out, I would I would need to be pretty convinced that the rest of my roster is looking top shelf before I bring him in. So you know, if the Forty ers want to do that, maybe. But even then, I'm not really sure. Brady's the guy to run all these bootlegs and in some of the other quarter other other stuff that requires a mobile quarterback that San Francisco likes to do. Uh, I I. I I find I find it hard for myself to think that he's going to have a huge, you know, swath of teams trying to come get him in free agency this year. So that's definitely a no as to if the Raiders should go after Tom Brady. No, 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 no. Raiders, Raiders. The only reason the Raiders I feel like would would go after Tom Brady is to just salvage what's left of this Devontae Adams contract. Because let's be real, like if you're going to go draft a rookie quarterback or get a young quarterback in here, you're not going to be able to maximize Devontae Adams prime years that he's left in, in the Raiders, at least in a meaningful way. So, uh, like, I, I guess Tom Brady would be, okay, we got a vet quarterback with our vet receiver. Let's see if we can just ignite some fire real quick. But the problems with the Raiders are a lot deeper than just, you know, their quarterback situation. He's Charles McDonald, sometimes shopping for groceries. Follow him on Twitter, at Forbes. <laughs> Charles, as always, we Thanks, appreciate Charles. it. Appreciate it. Later. So there's Charles McDonald. Ed, have you ever used Apple Pay to pay for something? I have not. Okay. My kids use it all the time. Danny? I used it once when it first came out. 
So I don't know how long ago that was. I don't know how you always give the weirdest answers. <laughs> and then you just never used it again. I I stopped using iPhones back in like oh that's right two thousand eighteen oh, or something. Was it Google Pay? What's on the Android? Yeah, Google Pay. Do you use that? Um, I used it once. No, I <laughs> I use I use Google Pay anytime I go to Dunkin' Donuts, just because my it's it's already linked, so it it automatically. God, you give some of the weirdest things. I don't even know. I wouldn't even know what to expect. Have you used it? Yeah, yeah, once. When it I've first never came used out, it with my watch. Google I have the ability. Oh, isn't that? That's do. like the best to do. Then you don't have to get anything out. You just put your wrist down in front of it. Yeah. All right, Danny. He's Danny. All right, we got tickets to give away. If you want to go to WWE SmackDown, we got a pair of tickets for you. They're coming to MGM Grand Garden Arena. On Friday, March 24th. And we've got tickets before you can buy them. They go on sale this Friday, but you can win a pair from us right now. 702-364-1100. That's the phone number. WWE SmackDown here in Vegas on March 24th. The caller number 8 right now at 702-364-1100. Coming out of halftime, all those halftime adjustments, it really paid off right there that I don't know about you. I don't think I ever made a halftime adjustment in my entire 18-year career. I think it's the biggest myth in football, the halftime adjustments, right? You go in, you you use the restroom, you eat a couple of oranges, and then the head coach says, all right, let's go. You're sitting in the press box with Graney and Bischoff on ESPN Las Vegas. Follow them on Twitter, at Ed Graney and Bischoff underscore Tyler. Remember the story uh, on The Athletic? about the Cincinnati Bengals at halftime and how all the coaches and players were like, yeah, there's a line to go to the bathroom. We all have our own food. We get the coaches maybe say a few words to us, but we don't really do much. We go in there to, (laughs) we go in there to pee and eat and eat. And then we're back out on the field. And now Peyton Manning and Eli Manning last night were like, yeah, we didn't, we never did halftime adjustments. There's not enough time. So we can hopefully officially stop yelling about halftime adjustments in the NFL and whether or not they're real because whether or not anyone does anything. They appear to not be real. Here, here's the key in the NFL. You, as a uh, offense or defensive coach or offensive defensive player, you only play half of the game. While you're not playing, you get to sit on the sideline and you have a tablet in your hand. Yes. Or you can have a tablet in your hand. They're making adjustments all the time. They don't need a 15-minute break in the middle of the game. They can make an adjustment while they're sitting on the sideline right, for while eight they're minutes. gathered and listening to their coach. Right, while the defense is on the field. So halftime adjustments, not that real. Now, by the way, congratulations to Matthew. He won tickets to go to WWE SmackDown. Or excuse me, Michael won tickets to SmackDown. Matthew won tickets to Carlos Santana. We got more tickets to both of those coming up here on ESPN Las Vegas. Bengals beat the Ravens. 98-yard fumble returned by Sam Hubbard was the game-winning touchdown In the fourth quarter, Tyler Huntley lost the ball as he was reaching for the goal line on a quarterback sneak, fell nicely into Hubbard's hands, and he ran 98 yards. Here's my question for you. The postseason Bengals, are they just the regular season Vikings? Oh, I think they're better than that, aren't they? Are you sure? Because they win so many, you're saying because they win so many close games? Last year, their run to the postseason, or run to the Super Bowl, they won games by 7, 3, and 3. Was and it the now, Raiders by seven? And it was the Raiders by seven, the Titans by, by three, three, and the Chiefs, Chiefs in overtime. And now this year, they've beaten the Ravens by seven. The Raiders last year were, were just an average NFL team that they beat by seven. The Titans were better than average. They were the one seed, but it was the Tennessee Titans, and they won by three. Chiefs were very Chiefs good. Chiefs to the beat Chiefs. Them. And then they just beat... 
Tyler Huntley and the yeah. Ravens by set. They're not even beating great teams by seven and three. They're beating just average or worse NFL teams by seven or three in the post. They're just the Vikings, but in the postseason. Don't you think they're better than the Vikings? A little bit, but are they going to win a convincing game anytime I soon? I hear Probably not this week. If they beat the Bills, listen, you beat the Bills by, by anything. seven or by three, it's a hell of a win. The Bills are really good, right. but like. When you beat a bad team by seven or three, normally look around and say, well, you're kind of bad too. And Tyler Huntley led Ravens are kind of bad. That team doesn't score points. So I'm just, they're basically the Vikings, but in the postseason, they're, they're better because they're doing it in the postseason and the Vikings lost in the postseason, but they're the Vikings of the postseason on the Ravens or excuse me. I want to actually, let me go to the Vikings. Did they have a good season? I mean, I think when you get to the, to the playoffs and you're a three seed in the NFC for with a first year head coach. Can't forget that he was uh, Ken Doll, as Lindsay likes to call him. Uh, is it Kev Doll or Ken Doll? Ken Doll. She Dahl. calls him Ken Doll, even though his name's Kevin. She even calls though his name's Kevin O'Connell. Yeah. Ken Doll. Um, they had a. They also had a fortunate season, winning all those first. You know those right. one score games. So you lose half of them. It's not a good season because you're not in the playoffs. <laughs> but you won. You won all of them. I'm just like so as a team. You're not expected to win the division, but you do win the division and you win 13 games, phenomenal record, phenomenal regular season, but you had a negative point differential. And then when you get to the postseason, you lose your first playoff game and you do it at home and you do it to Daniel Jones and the giants. I just wonder, like, as of, we have plenty of them on this show. I can ask them all this week. Do Vikings, will Vikings fans look back at this season and think that was a good year? I think they would. I think if you asked, I think if you, um, Asked uh, our friend, the resident Vikings fans, that she would say, that Lindsay would say it was a good year. I do. Okay. Don't I mean, you? The way she is with the Vikings? I think so, but again, I think she you're, you're going to look back on it and say, we did all that and we lost to the Giants in the, at, a, at home in the playoffs? Like you're just Another gonna look- Minnesota kid we know, Ben Goetz, thought it was a successful season. Although yesterday he thought more successful was that Carlos Correa always wanted to stay with the Twins. <laughs> So he's just happy about that. Ben's last year, he goes, Ben's like, yeah, I don't care about any of that. I just know that Carlos Correa has always wanted to be at the Twins. The other part on the Vikings that I'm curious about is how they're going to be projected next year. Oh, yeah. Because yeah. you win because, 13 games. But you have a differential of Negative less. point. I mean, yeah. the Raiders had a better point differential yeah. than the Vikings yeah. this year. You very much are much closer, I think, much closer to a 500 team than a 13 and 14 right. in reality. But is anybody convinced the Packers are going to be good next year? The Maybe Bears are bad. If he comes back. Maybe the Lions are going to be the hot, sexy pick in the NFC North. But it's not like you look at that division and say, oh, well, they're clearly the second or third best team. They might clearly be the best team in the division going into next season. So I'm curious how people project the Vikings next year coming off a 13 win season with a negative Just coming off that they're going to be projected to be yeah. probably the best team in the division. But I, I do think we'll get a lot of people. I'll, I'll claim it right now. The lions are the hot, sexy pick yes. in the NFC North yep. next year.